to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Court Vox. Court Vox provides personal guidance and expertise in the unique and often ignored areas of sex. Vox is trained in sex and intimacy consultant, surrogate partner intern, and a sacred intimate. Founder of his practice, The Body Vox, he brings professional opportunities for his clients to learn about and embrace their bodies and those of others. Traditional forms of therapy are done through talk, but the work of a somatic sex educator is to further this form of work via touch and body-based exercises in a comfortable, judgment-free, and safe environment. Vox is a sex educator experienced working with clients of all sexualities and genders, and he continues to collaborate with fellow sex educator Pamela Madsen for workshops around the country and runs a new company called Squirm. Welcome, Court. Oh my God, who is that human? <laughs> Are you so proud of yourself when I'm you listen so to it all back? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to like take a moment to look at all the things we have done. I know for myself, I'm <laughs> always looking at everything I could do more of in this sort of capitalistic <laughs> rat race culture of like the next thing to get, get to the next thing to get to. Uh-huh. So to hear it all back, you're like, Oh yeah, I've done a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agree. I'm, I'm in the same kind of ilk as you. It's like, what will I learn next? What, what certification will I, will I tackle this year? And yeah. And in some ways it's good. Cause then it's like the learning is never ending. You're still working on yourself, but not if it's like, I'm never enough, which is, what I consistently work on for myself. (laughs) I get it, yeah. Okay, so let's define some of these practices for folks if they've never heard of these. So what is a sacred intimate? What does that mean to you? Of course you go to that one first. Um, Sacred intimate, how I describe it, you know, in my coaching work, somatic sex education is one-way touch. So I touch and I facilitate learning for the client. They do not touch me back. I remain clothed. I wear gloves when I'm touching genitals and an internal touch. Sacred intimacy um, is it is a sort of a different uh, agreement. It's a different contract with a client. Um, for some people, they're really in need of learning how to receive and learning for the focus to be around their pleasure. And that coaching work is probably better suited for that. Then there are people who are really struggling with being in a partner dynamic, being with another human. Um, You know, some of those people have not had a lot of sexual experiences or they um, have not had a sexual experience in a very long time. And so working with someone as a sacred intimate where there is the potential for two-way touch, um, there is a learning of how to receive and also a learning of how to give and how to negotiate touch, how to negotiate is important. And so, um, you know, kind of when I, when I'm doing an intake with someone and kind of listening to what their needs are and what their learning goals are, um, I'm, I'm, I give them these options. I, I don't tend to switch from like a coaching client to a sacred intimate client. Um, 
not within a single immersion, for example. So mm-hmm. when I work with clients um, privately, I work for a minimum of three days. Um, I don't work less than that. I've found that three days for me um, is what my capacity to hold is. And for men, I find three days is a great arc. And it's m- what most men can handle in terms of capacity for for touch and learning and, and all the things. Um, when I work with women and I work with Pamela Madsen, my teaching partner, um, you know, it's much different when there's two people kind of holding space. And so, you know, when we work privately with women, sometimes we work five, sometimes eight days. Um, but I would say most commonly five days. Um, and then, of course, in retreat, up, you know, five days and up to eight days as well. But I would say those are the those are the main differences between um, kind of like my strict coaching work and working as a sacred intimate. So it sounds like sacred intimate is sort of a synonym with what some folks might call a surrogate partner. Um, and you use that, that wording as well, or, or would you say there's differences? The differences between those two is that um, surrogate partner therapy is actually a very like regimented um, program, mm-hmm. right? It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. Um, and the biggest difference is it's a triadic model. So I would work with the client um, to facilitate learning through body-based exercises, experiential learning. Um, and then they would see a, a therapist, a licensed therapist like yourself, mm-hmm. um, who would kind of be the person that would be processing um, processing that through talk. Mm. So it um, sounds like maybe sacred intimate has a little more flexibility um, for what it can look like and, and isn't so... Um, I don't want to say by the book, but yeah, just like more more flexibility. Yes. And also, um, I'm not not working with a therapist in that modality. I think, you know, the surrogate clients that I have had, um, the majority of surrogate clients tend to be latent virgins. So men and women who um, are 30, 40, 50, 60, sometimes older, that have not um, had sex yet. And it's such a daunting kind of, it's a daunting thing to think about of like, man, I, I really want to do this. And I've waited so long. And, you know, the thought of like going on Grindr or on Tinder or, you know, match.com to find love and then um, saying to someone, I've, I'm a virgin and I'm 45 years old mm. is, is scary. Um and so they keep putting it off and putting it off. And finally, it's like, okay, enough is enough. And they come to someone like myself to break through whatever it is that's kept them from that. So, you know, as much as it is physical, um, there's, it's a lot of emotional and um, mental lifting. Um, it's both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, acknowledging that the, the body holds trauma and the body holds stories and experiences and sometimes talking about it is just not enough Um, and sometimes talking about it like pushes it deeper Um, and so combining the two of having an experience um, that is designed to bring out whatever is there and Mm -hmm. then be able to talk about it is really powerful for people. Um, and just to kind of go back to the like coaching versus, yeah, the, the different options, yeah. what would you say are some of the main like presenting concerns that someone who might be a good 
um, like individual counseling or coaching candidate? Um, What are some of the things that people are coming in with? Sometimes it's not even sexual. Sometimes it's um, emotional, uh, anxiety, Mm, performance mm -hmm. anxiety. Yeah. Shame, shame, erectile, you know, issues or ejaculation issues, whether it's like not being able to come um, Mm -hmm. or coming too quickly and really wanting to be able to have more mastery of that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those are very, those are physical um, manifestations of emotional things. And so it's it's really like um, pursuing and giving tools to work with, say somebody who has, um, I hate this term, rapid ejaculation. I need to figure out a new term for that. I, I only, I always call it coming before you want to, which is kind no. of a, a mouthful, but <laughs> I like, mouthful. cause I mean, look, if you're not needing or wanting to last longer, like no problem. Right. Right. Um, but it's like, if you're, I guess, problematic, problematic ejaculation coming before you want to like, yeah. So a lot, I mean, everybody's different, but a lot of times, you know, the kind of like, the baseline issue there, you know, when you kind of like dig down deep of what that's about, um, there's, you know, issues of feeling worthy mm-hmm. of, of being in their own pleasure. And so just wanting to get it over with. So, you know, um, coming before you want to sometimes, a lot of times is associated with wanting to get it done with. Yeah. And it's the body's response of, of care. Yeah. So it's like, or sometimes a response to, I, I've seen it being a response to like losing an erection um, or lose, like losing the mood or whatever, if you don't have a penis. Um, and so people being like, well, I have to hurry up and do this because otherwise like stuff, stuff's going to come into my head or I'm not going to be able to stay hard or stay wet or whatever it is. Yeah. And so it's kind of, you know, again, paralleling the touch exercises um, with kind of the emotionality and the pro- the talk, the processing of it all um, and putting the two together. Um, so those are, so, you know, body image issues is very big for both men and women. Um, you know, I would say that's something that everybody deals with on some level. Um, and I think what's also common is there's a few exercises I do with folks where at the end of it, they're like, I actually, I love my body more than I thought I did. Mm. Or I had nicer to think I had nicer things to say about my body than I thought I would. <laughs> well, I know this is like worth a whole session, but like, can you give me a little snippet of like what an exercise for that might look like? Yeah, this actually is an exercise that comes from surrogacy, comes from Masters and Johnson, um, and it is something that I do with all clients um, if their kind of a goal is to feel more. Um, at ease with the body image is I stand in front of a mirror and I have them witness me. I stand naked in front of a mirror and they sit behind and witness me. Witnessing is different than watching. Um, the gaze is different. Witnessing is a, a um, is simply sitting and being with me, right? There's not a gaze of wanting or judgment. It's just simply being present. Um, I ask that clients do not make comments, right? It's not about comments. It's about being quiet and witnessing. Well, and, and, and just with yourself, right? Because I think we're so used to comments from external and that's yeah. why we've shaped the things about our body. 
Well, it's also like I'm not looking for them to fix, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not. I'm not there to fix. I'm actually just there to, to witness. Because mm-hmm. um, our response would be like, if I were to say something like, oh, God, my belly is just so fat right now. And I just, you know, wish it would, you know, I wish it would be smaller. You know, the natural and kind of, uh, then the response from a cult, our culture would be to fix it. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not fat. <laughs> Stop it. Be nice to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not the ask. The ask is actually just to witness. Um, and, and also notice. Notice, were, you, were there moments where you wanted to fix me? Right? And also asking the question of, like, was that fixing for you or was it for me? Mm. Right? And that's a question I ask a lot. Is like, is this for you or is it for me? Right? Because the fixing piece is actually a lot of times rooted in someone's discomfort, right? I'm, I'm uncomfortable with your discomfort and I need to make it better, not just for you, but for me. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I know that feeling. It is hard to sit with in yeah, sessions. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a practice of a conscious human, right? What you just said is sometimes it's hard to sit with in session. It's like, Yes, because you are conscious. You're mm-hmm. conscious of that pattern. And, um, you know, it is challenging sometimes to be a conscious human because you're, you're aware of your patterns. You're aware of, of how you operate in the world. And the, the, the flip side of that, the beautiful part of it, is you get to choose. You get to choose whether you want to stay in that pattern or not. Um, I, I think I got off on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. That's my fault. That's my ADHD brain. I'm like, oh, this is, sounds good. And this sounds good. And how about that? Yeah. Um, so coming back to it. So you're standing in the mirror. You are yeah. witnessing, um, kind of modeling this for them a little bit. Yeah. We go, I go from my head all the way down to my toes. I talk about, I tell stories about different parts of my body. I, I talk about what I love, you know, potentially things that I'm not super in love with at the moment. Um, you know, stories that root back to my family. I um, talk about, you know, my genitals and, and, you know, how I groom and why and, you know, whatever kind of like comes free flow for me. Um, And then we switch. And afterwards, they undress and stand in front of the mirror and I witness. I'm, I'm quiet, I'm silent, and I'm just present for them. And then afterwards, we, we process it. We sit, we talk about what did you notice? What was hard for you? What was, what was interesting? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a beautiful exercise. And I imagine like the sheer terror <laughs> that some people might experience in doing that maybe for the first time. There is, even I, it's not terror for me, but there is nervousness. Yeah. You know, there's an initial nervousness of like, oh, doing this exercise again (laughs) i'm here on day one with this stranger yeah and i'm sharing my body with them in a really vulnerable way yeah it's it's like scratchiness to that well and i think a good reminder that even for you who's doing this work um it's still an ongoing practice right and i think that's the most important thing that i want to stress and what i think is so beautiful about the kind of roots of somatic sex education is that it's the acknowledgement that we're not gurus, that we are teachers and we are humans 
and that we are in process. We are in our own practices and those become part of the learning too. You know, you had mentioned earlier, you know, there's a constant like wanting to grow and looking for new things. And, you know, I'm similar, like it's not about wanting to, um, it's not, it's not about feeling less than or inadequate. It's more of like, I want more. Like what else is there? And so that's like in me, that constant, that constant student. <laughs> as much as I am a teacher, I am a student. Yeah. And so in addition to, to body, I guess, body confidence, um, what are some other main themes that you see for people coming to see you? Um, what are people, what are people struggling with when it comes to sex? I think one of them, low, low libido or, Mm -hmm. or lack of desire is one of them, which, you know, honestly, a lot of times just turns out to be sheer boredom. (laughs) I know it's such a misnomer, right? When I hear clients (laughs) come in low libido, like it's such a catch all. Um, and I also think it puts people in a box of like, oh, well, I'm just a higher libido or a lower libido. And it doesn't look at the nuance of all the things that could be going on, whether that's physiological, emotional, boredom, relational. Um, So yeah, like what are some of the things that you see with quote unquote low libido? Like Mm -hmm. what's really going on? I mean, so I I have a pretty hefty intake form. And one of the questions is what medications are you on? Um, Mm -hmm. Are there any medications that could, you know, you know, keep you from, and sometimes people don't know the medications they're on. They're actually like decreasing their libido. Um, uh, yeah, which is a whole, which is, we've talked about this on the podcast before. So go back to literally any other episode listeners to hear about the, some of the lack of sex education that doctors yeah. are given and that they provide to clients. <laughs> and so it's, you know, like I had a, a client who's very young, under 30, um, like mid thirties mm-hmm. and came to me with low libido, um, and actually wasn't able to ejaculate, um, Actually, you can read about it on my website. Um, he was a writer from Grindr, um, and he came to work with me for a day, and he wrote about the experience. Um, so if you want to read about that, it's on my website. Um, but he couldn't come. And the first thing I did was look at what medic- medicines he was on, and he was on an antidepressant. There was probably like, um, I forget which one it was, but it was one of the the ones that's SSRIs. Yeah, that's stronger in side effects for this type of thing. And so it really becomes a a conversation with their um, psychiatrist of like, what are my other options? Because, you know, obviously depression is a serious thing, but it's super fucking depressing to be 24 years old and have no sex drive and the capacity to not come. Like, that's Mm -hmm. fucking depressing. And you know, those endorphins and those uh, like body chemicals are important and vital for, um, you know, keeping depression at bay as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like a catch 22. Um, yeah. sometimes people are able to switch medicines or take some supplements or right. learn other ways to experience pleasure. Exactly. And so that's why well, I can see why he had a low libido, right? Like Peggy, uh, researcher, Peggy Kleinplatz says like, it's of course you don't want to have more sex that's not worth having so if you're having sex where you're feeling miserable about not being able to come and not experiencing pleasure why would you want to have more of that and feel like maybe feel like a quote-unquote failure every time 
Yeah, it's like e- eating like a shitty meal at a restaurant. I mean, like, <laughs> can't you know, wait to have that again. Yeah, <laughs> Gave me diarrhea. Go. Let's go. <laughs> it's like because I'm hungry. It's the only restaurant available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, so that's one of them. With you know, with low libido or low sex drive, it's really like um, evaluating. Um, a lot of p- times, people do leave and go. I think I was just bored. Um, you know, a lot of, I get a lot of clients that have been in really long-term relationships. So they've only had a few partners and this is gay men and women. I think there's this misnomer that gay men are just like, you know, having sex with everyone. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of gay men. And then I think there's a lot of gay men that are very, um, very centered in monogamy and, you know, have had very few sexual experiences. Um, and so, you know, if you met your partner when you're in your 20s and you're now 40, you've been with the same person for 20 years, monogamous. I'm sorry, but, you know, having the same meal again. <laughs> Even if it's a great meal and was Even a great a meal. Great meal for yeah. 20 years, you're like, uh, um, yeah, what do you what do you do with those clients? <laughs> there's a lot of experiences to be had, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of like, um, you know, the, the modalities that I'm trained in. They're, they're wide. I have a breadth of knowledge in a lot of different things. And so being able to offer a menu of experiences is really valuable, um, you know, to say, these are three things I think would be really worth trying today, you know? And I don't know if you agree with this, but I think a lot of people, and this is, I guess, maybe kind of like the Esther Perel approach a little bit, but I think a lot of people feel like in order to feel safe in their relationship, they want to convince themselves that they know everything about their partner and Mm -hmm. that, Oh, we've been together for so long. I know everything about them. Um, And I think emotionally, sometimes that makes people feel safe because they don't feel like something's going to maybe surprise them in a negative way or throw them off or they'll be left or be cheated on or whatever it is. Um, And so people convince themselves they know everything about each other. And then they miss this like delicious opportunity to have these new experiences Mm -hmm. and to learn more about their partner and their sexuality. Um, But I think that's scary because that means you don't know everything about each other. Yeah. I think, you know, to like piggyback on that a little bit, I find when I work with couples, one of the the biggest things that they do is they pay out of each other's piggy banks. Mm, Uh, Say more about that. That's that's a quote of Pamela's (laughs) stop paying out of each other's piggy banks is you know, they think they know their partner so well, so they decide for them, oh, I'm not going to ask if they want this because I know they're going to say no. They're mm. going to say no. I know <laughs> that they don't like it. Or yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spank them harder because. Because one time they told me they didn't right. like it. Yeah. And, you know, what we find working with couples is a lot of times they're similar in that they can they can handle a lot more than their partner has given them credit for, yeah. Um, and so it's the the request and the practices to not pay out of each other's piggy banks, but to be from an inquisitive mind, um, specifically with couples that have been together a long time. Like you have changed, you are not the same person I met five years ago. I am. I've been in a relationship for five years. I am. You ask my partner if I've changed, he'll be like, roll his eyes. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. Um, and neither is he. And so com- coming to the table with um, inquiry is important. Yeah. 
Valentine's Day is coming up, and if you are a slutty scholar, that means you may want more than just flowers. Spice things up with Like a Kitten's Couples Box. And honestly, you'll like it even if you are self-partnered. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. The Valentine's Couples Box is a one-stop shop for all your sexy Valentine's Day essentials. It's got everything from CBD body paint to things that vibrate, things that tickle, games that excite you, lubes. It is a way to explore all of your senses in one box. Like a Kitten's mission is to help women own their power in all areas of life. So a portion of all sales go to charities that focus on women's empowerment, education, and health. So you can feel good about feeling good. And right now, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Surprise your partner with an amazing Valentine's couples box. Just go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or use code S&S to get 20% off. Likeakitten.com slash S&S and the link is in the episode's description. And after you buy, reward yourself with some time with Dipsy Stories. With Dipsy, you can focus on giving yourself pleasure, which is a habit you'll want to keep all year. You may remember Dipsy audios that y'all loved last year, but for those of you who prefer reading versus listening, Dipsy Stories now has brand new written stories as well. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. In our busy schedules, we often don't take the time to prioritize ourselves and our pleasure. Sex therapy is my job, and I still struggle with it sometimes, but you deserve to be a priority, and you deserve pleasure, so give yourself some dedicated time for less pressure and more pleasure with Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering that extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash S-A-N-D-S. Dipsystories.com slash S and S. Now back to the episode. And so you mentioned that you also do retreats. So I know you're putting together an, an upcoming retreat in June. Um, t- tell me about like the retreat format and, and what folks can expect on this upcoming event. So the retreat I'm going to be doing in Mexico as June 7th through the 13th, um, just outside of San Miguel de Allende. Um, I'm going to be working with Ron Stewart and, po- and Paul Stewart, their their husband team um, from Canada. And I just like had a really great visual of it being Rod Stewart for some reason. I'm like really it. wanting to go to that retreat. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Ron is great too. But... E- equally as great. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a combination of receiving sexological bodywork ses- sessions. So the first two days, men, it's for GBTQ men. Um, so the, for the first two days, they'll receive bodywork um, from Ron and from Paul, and I'll be running workshops in the morning and afternoon. Um, and then the last three days are really going to be focused on touch exercises, learning how to give and receive with each other, um, as well as group erotic experiences and experiments. We're going to give people experiments to practice with each other um, in kind of alignment with Tantra of here's an experiment and what did you, what did you learn? What are the data points, right? What was great? What was not great? What can you take into your life? What can you leave behind? 
that's going to be the, the the retreat in a nutshell. It's in a beautiful uh, hacienda. Uh, I looked it up. It looks amazing. Everyone listening should check space. it out and just drool over the space. Mm-hmm. It's a gorgeous space. So it's going to be a combination of, of receiving really qualified um, qualified touch and then also learning how to negotiate and learn touch skills with, with other men. Would you say that it's hard for people to integrate with their partners or into the real world? Because like, I'm hearing you talk and I feel like you would offer such a safe, lovely holding space. I can imagine, I can imagine a lot of clients like falling in love with you um, or projecting that onto you for being like maybe the, the first person to hold this space for them. Like what are some ways that people or that you help folks integrate this back into their lives with their partners? Um, because those partners might not be holding space the way you've been trained to do. So that's an interesting question. So not all my clients are in partnership. Mm-hmm. When I first speak with someone and and learn that they are in a partnership, my question to them is, will you invite them to come with you? Yeah. And oftentimes the answer is no. I'd like to do this by myself. And that's not my choice. Right? I don't get to choose. I don't get to say, well, you need to bring them or else you can't come. It's like, yeah, it's not for me to choose, you know, for, for whatever reason, they're choosing to do this work on their own. Um, I do offer ways to integrate and, and ways to communicate needs and desires to their partners. And also that's not my job. Mm-hmm. It's not my job. Um, yeah. I had a client say to me, I was with him for three days. And I think on the third day I said, how will you take this back to your partner? Naively, I said that, and his response was, can this just be for me? Mm. And it was this kind of realization of like, yeah, this can just be what it is. I do uh, offer follow-up calls for people. In terms of boundaries, how I operate and how it's kind of come um, as part of my own learning is when I say goodbye, I send an email that has kind of like a list of recommendations, you know, different books to read, um, Mm -hmm. podcasts to listen to, potentially other courses, um, movement classes, really depending on, you know, what what we've discovered together and what would be great next steps. Mm -hmm. Um, I send them the offerings that I have, whether it's retreats or workshops or other um, three-day um, immersions. And then I say goodbye. I say, this is the last time you'll hear from me. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out when, and if you need me, and I will not reach out again. And that's a boundary of, of mine that's for me and for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to like hook them into staying. Um, and sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but the integration piece is something that would need to be asked for, you know, how do I take, yeah, like you can't go home with them. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can do these integrative retreats, obviously, where mm-hmm. you people come and you come into their space and, you know, you work with the partners and things, but yeah, you can't make them do the practice that yeah. you've done, you know, that, that has to be somebody wanting and, and dedicating the time for that. And also, 
you know, I have had clients work with me individually and then bring their partner mm-hmm. um, to work with me as, as a, as a, you know, with, with the couple. Yeah. Um, oftentimes there, like you said, there is a level of frustration that happens when they go home. It's like, I've experienced, I've experienced something new. Um, and I'd like to share with you what it is and yeah. how you can offer that for me. And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes that partner needs some assistance of their own. Yeah. Um, well, and the hope is that that will be a point of curiosity and a motivator of like, wow, I've seen what intimacy can be. And I'd like to strive to gain that with myself and with my partner, as opposed to just like comparing and being like, well, we'll never get there. Right. I think, you know, one of the things that really is a differentiator in my work and traditional somatic sex education or sexological body work, and also with Pamela, is we really feel that there is learning and valuable learning in intimacy with purpose. Um, you know, I'm going to be working with a woman this week who has no issue having orgasm. She has no issue having 12 orgasm. She knows her body in and out. These are her words, not mine. Um, what she would like assistance with is intimacy, how to stay present mm-hmm. with another human, um, how to language her needs, how to ask for what she wants to express desire, how to stay conscious in breath with another person. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's, a, that's not something that a traditional sexological body worker would offer. And it's something that I do. Um, And it's really just acknowledging that this is intimacy with purpose in a Mm -hmm. container. Um, And then when it's over, it's over. Oh, yeah. And what would you say is your, I don't want to say favorite, but yeah, the thing, uh, a thing that you really like working with or have found really powerful as of late um, in your work? I think 90% of my clients that come to work with me have some level of interest in um, DS play mm, okay, um, or power surrender and intimacy. And I enjoy, um, I enjoy that type of play for myself and I enjoy like facilitating learning in that dynamic. Um, so yeah, I think that that excites me a lot and that's, not sexological body work. That's not somatic sex education. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it can be definitely. You could definitely like those tools parlay yeah. over, um, and some of them don't. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I definitely bring elements of tantra into that as well. Um, but yeah, I I enjoy I enjoy um, helping people explore kink and power play. Mm. And something I know you mentioned to me before we did this episode was um, something called somatic holding. Mm-hmm. Um, what is somatic holding and, and how, yeah, what kind of things is that used for? So I'm going um, to use an example that my teacher, um, Catherine Jesse, used really early on in my early training is she holds her fist really tight and she says, open fist, open open your fist open and the fist is like clenched and the fist doesn't open mm-hmm. and then she comes with her hand and she says it's okay fist i 
I'm not going anywhere. I will stay here. You open when you're ready. And if you don't want to open, I'll also be here. And then, would you like to open fist just a little bit? And the fist just naturally starts to open. And it's similar with people's emotionality, with their heart. Um, I could see how powerful that would be. That like even made me tear up. Just like the soft (laughs) fist thing. I was like, oh, yeah. The soft fisting. fisting. (laughs) That's what you're going to have to call it. Yeah. No, but I feel like, yeah, even you saying that in the, like, obviously listeners can't see this, but the way you were just like looking and the way you said it and your tone, like, oh, so softening. And, uh, you know, at the time I thought that that example was really, I I remember her doing it and going like, that's kind of (laughs) silly. And now, and now it's such like a simple but powerful metaphor of, of literally how I hold people somatically where they are you're not ready to open i hear that and i and i recognize that whatever is keeping you from opening has kept you safe for a really long time and i just want to i want to like express my gratitude for for that holding and when you're ready i'll be here you know, there's something like so. I'm tearing up talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did have an experience recently with um, a woman where it was a lot of a lot of holding, and it was challenging um, because at every turn there was um, a resistance in the form of "you're not doing it right" or "I'm not getting what I need from you" or "you shouldn't have said that," and it was it was hard to receive that and also to have the knowing and the awareness that that was her resistance. Yeah. And to just say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, that- you think of, I mean, we think of like attachment styles, right? That's sort of like the, the baby that won't latch onto mm-hmm. the breast, right? Like that there's this disconnect um, that you didn't get the, the tender attachment reflective care that you needed and now now nothing feels like the goldilocks fit you know and so it's it's this like inner child tantrum of like Mm -hmm. that's too big that's too small that's too this because you don't even know what the right reflective fit even feels like right yeah and that's uh um i've been utilizing a lot of um and this is going to, I even like Bach at even mentioning it because it has such a negative connotation, but I use hypnosis. Um, it's not like an old school hypnosis of like the clock and like me snapping and, you know, mm-hmm. being able to do whatever I want. It's more of this acknowledgement that, that you, my client, actually have wisdom in your body and spirit beyond what you're even aware of. And can we talk to it? So bringing, you know, through my voice and my languaging, can I bring you into a space that's more of like a a meditative trance? And then ask questions. Like, notice in your body right now. But ask questions of the body. Of the body, yeah. Yeah. Noticing your, your heart right now. Is there any words, sounds, or messages from your heart? There is something stuck there. There's something stuck there, really. 
can we ask your heart what's stuck there? It's painful. There's a wound. Yeah. There's a wound there. Yeah. Talking to it. It's incredible what people um, say, and incredible the the wisdom that people have of their own bodies. Um, there's a, a meditation that Pamela um, created called the the Lotus Lift Meditation. And you rock while you're holding your genitals back to back. And um, you ask Deepak Chopra's soul questions. And as I'm asking them, and my client is saying them, I'm writing them down. So many times afterwards, I'm reading them to my client. This is what you said. They're like, I say that? Mm. Like, I said that? You know, and it's, just the acknowledgement that the body is much wiser than we have given it credit. Yeah. And that, that, that the answers are actually inside you. And sometimes they just need, you know, a little to be listened to, need to be listened to and, and held in a space. That's like, that's permission here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm imagining with the, the movement as well, like I think movement, what is the saying? Like change of, change a muscle, change a thought, right? Like mm -hmm. you're, you're really literally allowing your body to, to speak, um, through movement. But I think in our culture, most people are taught to not listen to their bodies. So they haven't even learned the language. You know, we live in a no pain, no gain right. kind of culture. So most people just push through. Yeah. And you know, our culture is, is not supportive of body autonomy and I could get into a whole, um, a whole, a whole other episode. <laughs> a whole other episode around body autonomy and how, from like a political and cultural perspective, it doesn't suit the people in power for us to be autonomous. Yeah. Um, because it's much easier to control people and their bodies when you don't have body autonomy, when you don't have mm -hmm. connection to your body, when you don't have connection to your voice. Um, it's much easier to control. Yes. Yeah, that is... Well said. Um, okay, so I know we've talked a lot about like the serious, deep parts of this, yeah. but just to just to wrap up, I do want people to see the the other side, and to me, that sort of represents like the lightness and the and the playfulness. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the role of play and and how your company Squirm uh, can maybe fit into that. Yeah. So um, Pamela Madsen and I started Squirm because we both absolutely love sensation play. Um, and sensation, um, so first of all, Squirm has a, a couple products. We have um, our first product, which is called the Scratch and Tickle, which is fur gloves and claws. And the fur has this very like light, feather light, um, kind of tickly sensation. And then the claws are these kind of, um, it's a deeper sensation of like scratchy, but it, the way that it hits nerves in, in your skin um, it almost feels like electricity running through your body. Oh, uh, they sound fun. Going to write oh, these down. So good. <laughs> um, and then we just um, we just launched our next product in time for Valentine's Day, which is called the Squirm Exploratory Box. It has the scratch and tickle, so it has the gloves, it has the claws, it has a Wartenberg wheel, and it has. Um, and for people who don't know Wartenberg wheel, it used to be like a kind of like a medical device. It, it's like a circular thing that rolls around almost like a pizza cutter. Um, that yes. you can roll along the skin with different amounts of pressure. Spiky. It's a spiky yes. wheel. Yes. <laughs> um, 
that also is an incredibly interesting sensation of like, it's a little bit like uncomfortable. Most people are on the line of like, do I like this? I like this. I don't like this. I love this. <laughs> um, again, really, it was used to test nerve damage. So it really hits the nerves in the skin in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. The box also comes with um, a satin eye mask. Um, you know, presencing someone with taking their eyesight away um, is really wonderful for people a lot of times. So to be able to not see um, heightens all the other sensations. Mm -hmm. um, it allows people to go into trans states much deeper. Um, so really, this is like a nice gift. It's like a starter kit to mm -hmm. give your partner or to give yourself rather of like, um, these are different sensations, different sensations to try um, and to play with. Um, you know, the fun thing about sensation is like you get to go, do you like this? Do you want it harder? Like, how's that? You know, it's like a, it's exploratory. <laughs> What's your favorite way to ask, do you like this? Is it just to say, do you like this? Because I, I think, think I like this. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of people get weird and, and don't like the like, oh, is this okay? Is this okay? Because they don't want to be like checking. But yeah. I think it's, I would invite everyone listening to come up with creative ways with you and your partner. And maybe even first ask in a non-sexual way, like, how do you like to be asked things? Mm -hmm. Or how do you like to give or receive feedback? So that you can come up with a check-in question together your version of do you like this? I mean, my my version of do you like that starts to get a little... Do you like that? <laughs> my, my friends and I used to say that growing up. I don't know where we got it from, but like in an accent, do you like that? Do you like that? <laughs> yeah. But it can also be like if you're taking on um, more of a dominant role, mm -hmm. if you're the one giving, it's like, do you like that? Do you like that? <laughs> yeah, it's like... Uh, that you know, hits. Like rhetorical. Yeah. Right? It's like, I know you like it. I just want to hear you say it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where like play can come in of, of, Ooh, right? you like that. Don't you? Yeah. I love it. You know, so <laughs> like using language, the, the, I could also give a whole talk about nuance of language and how important it is. Um, but yeah, that's how I would ask. Do you like that? Um, in sexological bodywork, we tend to use phrases like more or less pressure um, or um, more or less, you know, something that's a little more direct. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you say... Yeah, especially if you don't know exactly what you like, it gives you like the, the question for someone who might be just like, I don't know, you have like an option. There's also like this thing that we do in our culture, which is, do you like that? Or does that feel good? No one is ever going to say no. They're going to say, yeah, it feels good because they don't want you to stop or they don't want to hurt your feelings. Or, and so that question of like, um, how does that feel or does that feel good? That question becomes more about the reassurance that I'm doing a good job as opposed mm. to being truly interested in what my partner wants. So yeah. asking the direct question allows for a direct answer, more or less pressure, more less yes <laughs> deeper longer harder right those are those are really um direct and when you get into like sexy talk and the nuance of sexy talk it doesn't have to be so porn centrified you know it doesn't have to be like fuck me daddy you know like, <laughs> it's like saying something like deeper it's like a really direct 
direction and feedback. And also it's really hot to hear. Mm-hmm. I want all of it. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And that's a practice, right? Like, so I think I had someone on the podcast recently, they were talking about practicing having these words in your mouth, right? So if you've never said those words out loud, practicing like how those words feel in your mouth, like, can you say deeper? What does that feel like to say? Right. Um, oh my gosh, Court, thank you. I feel like mm-hmm. I learned so much. I am so excited to have people get connected with you and your work. Um, how can folks check out Squirm, the retreat, um, yeah. hire you? Give all the promos. Okay, so you can find me on my website, thebodyvox.com. I'm also on Instagram at courtvox. And I have this retreat coming up, which is also listed on my website. Um, Links to Squirm are on my website. You can also find Squirm products at everybodysquirm.com. If you're interested in coming to a women's retreat, backtothebody.org. And if you're interested in working with me privately um, in one-on-ones, all that information is on my website. Court, thank you so much for joining. And listeners, again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And please don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, And don't forget to check out the advertisers and use the discounts. Um, I hope you like the products, but the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.